Welcome to Mental Health News Radio. I'm your host, Kristen Sunanta-Walker. Just what are we going to discuss? The intimacy that is mental health. Let's continue to make it as comfortable as discussing brain health or heart health. This show has been on the air for several years and we have amazing co-hosts. And then we created a network of podcasters on mentalhealthnewsradionetwork.com, a place where every possible facet of mental well-being can be talked about openly. My show, after several hundred interviews, the format is this. Intimate, deep, funny, touching, sometimes uncomfortable, but always vulnerable conversations with interesting people. The goal is to have you, our listening family, many of you who have become my good friends, feel as though you are listening in on private conversations. Thank you for tuning in and becoming part of this amazing journey with me and now with our network of podcasters. Just knowing this podcast might be helping any of you realize you are not alone on this journey called being a human being makes doing this podcast worth every second. Hi everyone, Kristen Sinatra Walker here and I'm so excited to get into the new year on our roundtable discussions with Dr. Paul Meyer. Paul, I'm so glad to talk to you in the new year. It's wonderful. I missed uh, I missed doing programs with you. I mean, it was nice to have a little Christmas uh, vacation, you know, away from work and everything, but uh, uh, being with you guys is not really like work. It's more like you know, catching up with your friends. That's right. It's fellowship. In, you know? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We just catch up with everybody listening in, our, exactly. our, with our listening family listening in, with the rest of our family. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And Melanie, you're here too. Yay. Yeah. Hi, guys. So nice to be Hi. here. Hey. Absolutely. So, you know, the, one thing I want to start out with, and then we're going to talk about this award that you received, Paul, which I know you're, you know, you're not a big one for talking about these things, but it's really nice. So we definitely want to hear about it. But one thing I had uh, come up for me over the holiday break was I had several listeners write in to sort of tell me, thank you so much for, you know, the, the shows that you put out. And they were talking about many of our podcasters. It wasn't just about me. And they were telling me how many conversations they have in their lives, in their own head with me or with one of our other podcasters, like with you, Paul, or with you, Melanie, or with Joe Fusaro or Stephen Kabalkovich or any of the other people, you know, that are podcasters on the network. And I thought that is such an interesting dynamic that, you know, we do our thing and we're not in front of a big audience where we can kind of see the reaction to, you know, what we're saying, we're speaking into a mic and it goes out into the internet verse and we don't know who it's really connecting with and who it isn't. And then you get this feedback that people are having conversations with one of us or some of us in their daily life based on what they've heard us talk about. And I thought, wow, there's a lot of people out there across the globe that are having conversations with one or a few of us that we're not a part of. That's a little interesting. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> I don't have a problem with it because, I mean, I did live radio to 2 million people a day for mm-hmm. five days a week for 20 years, you know, and so I'd get, I'd get all these letters, you know, and stuff. And 
And, uh, and then when I'd go speak different places, people that listened to me for years would come up and that, you know, I just, I feel like you're my dad or I feel like you're my brother and, yeah. and, uh, it, that felt good. You know, I, uh, so I, I probably, uh, I probably do that myself when I'm watching a football game or something. Imagine, uh, talking to Troy Aikman or somebody about, about that situation. You know? Well, you know, that's true. There's like talking to Troy Aikman, but what we talk about is so personal. So what hit right. me was uh, one of my friends that's in New Zealand uh, and another one that's in Belgium wrote these very beautiful emails to me over Christmas and said, you know, I just, I'm having these conversations with you in different situations in my life every day and I'm having them back and forth with you. And it really hit me in such a way that, wow, you know, that's a, that's a whole other level. That's not just watching yeah, football or whatever. That's, yeah, that's right. a different yeah. level. And it, and it was very yeah. touching. And also it kind of freaked me out, not in a, I don't want, please, my friend in Belgium and New Zealand and some of the other people that wrote in, please don't feel like I'm freaking out. It was just more like, I felt this responsibility about it. Like I need to be probably a little more cognizant of that as I move into this new year, you know? But it's uh, it's a great feeling. It's a great feeling to know that you um, you can be part of someone's conversation in their own head, and that it's a positive conversation, and that that feels really good. I'll ask myself. You know, I'll see a, a patient with something new, and I'll, I'll ask myself, now what would Melanie say to her? <laughs> Do you really? Oh. Yeah, yeah, oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I do. Yeah, you've got I a lot of. I'm an actual boy. Myers head. Us, us, us <laughs> men uh, don't have as much uh, uh, horse sense, you know, as uh, women do. I don't think. I got you. So sometimes I, got I may you. know some statistics or a medication or something, but you know, when it comes to practical things. Well, I'll tell you the horse sense that Melanie and I had yesterday. We were out in the field with our horses, and we had to roll this. Uh, I don't know, listeners that don't have horses, just picture a Ferris wheel made of aluminum. It's much larger than you, and you have to roll it, and it's something that contains big, round bales of hay. And here's Melanie and I, and this is our Sunday after Melanie got back from church. We're out in these boots. Melanie figured out that there's a hole in her boot, so she had all kinds of muddy visitors in her shoe that she wasn't expecting. And then me rolling this Ferris wheel through probably a football sized length to get to a place where we could put the hay in it for the horses. And I face planted right into the mud. And I tell you, when I got up from that, I thought, this is the best day of my life. (laughs) Why is that? It just was so great to be there with Melanie first and to be with the horses and to be doing something that's so not my regular life and to be with the yeah you you felt like it was funny to fall down like that right oh absolutely I fell and I looked at myself and I went this is awesome I am caked in mud this is the coolest thing ever (laughs) and my dog is probably eating like horse poop somewhere this is so interesting I'm gonna have to deal with something not great later because of that (laughs) so it was actually happened to me 
It actually happened to me today. My last client that I had today, uh, I was uh, just typing away on her script, and all of a sudden, my chair broke. <laughs> and and oh, I mean, yeah. literally broke. It literally oh. broke, and I fell down on the ground. And uh, and uh, so uh, I just got up and brushed myself off and did the rest standing up and made a joke out of it. And you know, <laughs> I did that once to a radio that. program too, where I fell down doing the radio program. Like oh, that. did you? Yeah. And one time, one time I went to Cuba uh, illegally, uh, to, but but I I did it for <laughs> Christian reasons. So I think God will forgive me for breaking the law there. But but anyway, I, I went to speak at a church, and they don't have much money over in, in Cuba. So uh, while they were getting ready to introduce me, I was sitting on a plastic chair up on the platform, and while they were introducing me, the four legs went flat they just all spread out went flat there all of a sudden because they're about twice the size of an average cuban you know? <laughs> <laughs> <least> over there <laughs> so i just got made a joke about it and you know what do you do you just yeah you either crumble yeah. or you laugh and yeah. you say yeah. here we go yeah. that's life so i so when you said that about falling down in the mud on your face i, I think it's pretty cool that you that you just uh, thought it was funny and laughed about it yeah i just i looked at melanie and i said here we go <laughs> and then she jumped in the back of the tractor that was delivering the hay and she was like I'm in heaven I grew up on a farm this is amazing and I'm watching her go down this gravel road standing in the back of the tractor and I'm standing there with mud all over myself and some in my mouth and some in my teeth and thinking this is a really good day there's <laughs> <laughs> nothing better than a hayride <laughs> that's right that's right so, Paul, tell our listeners, you just were awarded. Now you're so humble that you don't get into this, but you have to because we got your email today. You you received the Great American Award. So what was this about? Where were you when this happened? How did this come about? Well, uh, once a year, a group of, uh, of politicians and people involved in government and people that are interested in government um, get together and uh, uh, for about a three or four day conference and uh, this year it was at the, the cloister at Sea Island Georgia and uh, um, and I've gone to that they, I've spoken at that maybe every three or four years they'll invite me to come speak on a, on a topic and this year they invited me uh, and there are two uh, British Parliament there too uh, in fact, uh, the female that was there, Emma McClarkin, is uh, um, you know, one of the main people in the British par uh, Parliament that has to do with international trade and relationships with the United States. So it was neat to really neat to meet her. And my wife and I spent a lot of time uh, talking to her, and she invited us to come visit her at her home in, in uh, England. And, you know, that, it, we just had a real exciting time. But they invited me to speak. I gave two two-hour lectures to to all of them. Uh, one on the uh, opioid crisis that we've done a couple of programs on, which which helped me to uh, hone up on it, you know, and uh, and that went real well. And then uh, and, and for that one, everybody got a copy of of uh, the um, devotional book I did. And uh, well, I'll, I'll just I gotta make this shorter because we won't have time for the rest of the program. <laughs> but but anyway. <laughs> Uh, the, the, out of all the people that get treated for opioids, the, the scientific research shows that the ones that do the best are those that go to 12-step programs. Uh, uh, you know, and so uh, I wrote one of the books I wrote is Be Strong and Surrender 
um, that talks about the 12 steps and all that. So I gave that to all the people that were there. But um, but anyway, so that went well. And I also did a two-hour program on happiness as a choice. And, uh, and, um, and, and that was a lot of fun. But what happened on the last night uh, is they have a banquet on the last night. And some people wear tuxedos and stuff. And I just wore a dark suit because um, my tuxedo didn't fit. <laughs> so, and, uh, that's why and, that chair and, broke so, off. <laughs> Mine would have so, too. Uh, Trust me. <laughs> so uh, once a year uh, at that thing, they they give a um, a Great American Award to different people, and and uh, the people that have won it for the last like twenty years have almost all been politicians. And uh, uh, Dr. James Dobson won it about uh, four years ago, and he was a non-politician he's a psychologist and and uh, and so i was shocked uh when they when they announced that i was the winner of that this year and so they invited oh, me up wow. they gave me a uh six thousand dollar about 35 or 40 pound um carving out of one piece of marble of a eagle head mm. and the uh, uh done by a, a well-known um, sculptor and he was there too and somehow when they asked him about whether he would, uh, you know, carve that for them. And he found out it was me. I had uh, helped him somehow, maybe through my books or something. Oh, wow. uh, and, and so he did it. It didn't even charge them. He did it for free. And oh he came to gosh. the, he came to the program. He came there. And when I got the award, he, uh, he was one of the people that gave it to me. And they explained that, you know, that he had made that. And he makes uh, carvings for, you know, presidents and all sorts of people around the country and that was a real honor it really felt great um, how do you i mean how do you did you know ahead of time that you had won this award oh not at all so it was uh, a surprise as you're fact, saying yeah in fact i'll tell you uh i'll tell you a joke about it um they they uh i wondered why they put me at the head table you know because i mean you know why would you know why would they put a psychiatrist at the head table when you have all these <laughs> political leaders and stuff i mean there was a senator there that that said he heard my uh, talk on the opioid crisis and he said he was going to try to get a law passed to to limit doctors that pass it out like candy and stuff like that so it, you know it did a lot of good but anyway uh they put me at the head table and i did wonder why in the world would they do that and uh and then when it was time to go my, my wife and i were in a room and, and it was time to go and i grabbed I mean, I had like 15 minutes and it was in the same building that my room was in. And, and so I grabbed my suit and the pants were missing. Oh, no. You know, the suit that I brought for that, yeah, for that evening dinner because you needed to wear a dark suit and black tie and all that. And my pants were missing and, and I just, I got frantic and I looked all over. And uh, um, and finally, I, I, I found out they had, they had slipped off and fallen into the dirty clothes and got buried by dirty clothes. So... So I had to, uh, oh. so I had to steam them. So I had to steam. So we got there. So we were about like eight minutes later, ready, and uh, and and they were afraid that I wasn't going to show up because oh, they wanted no. to give me the award. And so they called our room and said, are, "Are you coming? Are you coming?" And I said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, I, I'm coming. I'll be there in just two more minutes." <laughs> so I, I made it in time to get my award. So, but that would have been disastrous. To, how do you handle that when you walk up and you accept something like that and you're just, I mean, I know you, I you know, you're so humble. You know oh, see? Yeah. Yep. I started crying. Oh. And then I tried not to, I, I mean, I stuffed it enough so it didn't show too much, you know, but I, I, I started to cry when, when I, 
when they announced it, I was still sitting at the uh, table where we had dinner and and uh, with, with Ed Meese and and uh, the uh, Emma McClarkin from the British Parliament and with all these you know people and sitting there, I just started I just started crying and then I stuffed it and went up and got the award. And got up there. That's amazing. Well, you they, sent that they, email they to us for, today. Uh, so I said they, they said they gave it to me for for pioneering, being a pioneer in the area of of psychology and spirituality. You know, uh, integrating spirituality with uh, psychology. And um, um, uh, one person that was there uh, was on the board of of uh, Sir John Templeton, and he's um, he he does a lot of uh, of donating in the in the area, he's an anthropologist. I mean, uh, not anthropologist. Uh, uh, what, uh, what do you call philanthropist? No, no, no. What do you call somebody that donates a lot of money? To philanthropist. Charity? Philanthropist. Yeah, philanthropist. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to call him a name, but anyway, uh, my my <laughs> former prayer partner uh, did uh, research on that on spirituality, and uh, and Sir John uh, uh, sent him a million dollars a year for a lot of years to oh my to do research on that. Yeah, and and. When my prayer partner died, Dr. David Larson, uh, a chair in the Library of Congress was named after him. And, mm. uh, and a majority of the medical schools today have a required course on spirituality uh, just to help the students so they, so they uh, won't reject people, you know, if, for their faith if, 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 if they, you know, want to pray or if they do different things. And also so they'll understand that uh, the research really does show that people that have, that are spiritual. Uh, uh, heal a lot better than people that aren't. Mm. Amazing. Amazing. Well, that's, I wondered what you were up to this holiday season. <laughs> and that was one of those things. It was, it was fantastic. Yeah. Well, Melanie, what did you think when you saw this? Because I know we were both chickens with our heads cut off today. We were, we were my, you know, the worst thing in the world that could happen to anyone these days happened to me. And that is my phone died on me. Oh. <laughs> yeah, so I was, I was in a panic and I do lots of work on my phone, you know, and I also have children. So I need to, I need for them to be able to reach me if they need something. So uh, I ended up spending about three hours in the Verizon store today trying to get my phone fixed and I just couldn't. So I ended up getting a new phone. So anyway, um, yeah, we were running around. But when I saw this, I mean, uh, I think it's wonderful that we stop and acknowledge people's accomplishments. Um, I feel like it needs to be, you know, something that is is continued on. Um, so I'm super happy for Paul that he's gotten some acknowledgement that he's, uh, I feel like this is an acknowledgement for his passion because that's something that I really respect about Paul is that he's still passionate about what he does. And every time he gets on, he's just, you know, passionate about something new in the field of psych psychiatry. So that needs to be rewarded because that passion is what reaches other people. So I think that's if we continue to reward that, then we'll be, we'll be doing, the general population a, a favor. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking about what we do for a living, um, we, we've had a banner start to the new year. Uh, we've got more podcasters, people with, that already have a podcast that want to join our 
mental health news radio network, people that don't have a podcast that are joining. Um, as an example, we've got a mother and daughter um, joining our network that have written a book called Which Way, which is about generational trauma and that mother-daughter wound. And they're going to be doing a show together. And just, I mean, there's there's so many great people that are joining the network. And um, it's it's just, it's astounding to me. We've got an organization in Kenya that is joining our network that uh, of the millions and millions of people that actually live in Kenya, there are only 88 mental health professionals in all of Kenya, which wow. is utterly astounding. And That's this, cool. yeah, this incredible organization is um, trying to do something about that and be of service. And so we are gifting them a show. And I don't say that to say, oh, aren't we so great that we're gifting them a show? I don't mean it like that at all, listeners. I just mean, you know, I would never let them or want them to, you know, pay anything to do this. We'll do whatever we can to help because look, at their funding needs to go to what they're doing. It doesn't need to go, you know, towards uh, paying for a podcast. So we're going to donate um, our time and our skills to help them get on the air and talk about this and speak in their native tongue. And I'm so excited about all of these things that just right out of the gate in the new year, boom, 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 boom. These, you know, incredible people wanting to do podcasts about mental health. And then we also, on the other side of things, got hit with a convicted cyber stalker that decided to, um, make us a target. And it's been really interesting to have these blissful moments about what we see going on in the mental health field and how we can be a part of it. And then also have somebody that is um, clearly that we have much compassion for, because clearly there's mental illness here. And, um, you know, this is someone or some ones who have been convicted for crimes in this behavior and um and how do we move forward how do we keep doing what we do while we are also having um an organization or a person that is uh, actively trying to tear us down so it's kind of a <laughs> an interesting conundrum to start this new year off with so i thought we would dedicate a little bit of our show to the discussions around this kind of behavior, how you handle it, what's the best way to handle it. It reeks of narcissistic personality disorder. Um, it reeks of sociopathy, psychopathy. It just, and people need to know in this day and age of, um, you know, being out on the internet, how, what are some of the tools that we can use to combat this kind of behavior? And so I thought we could talk about that today a little bit on this show and we're going to be doing more series about this on our show too so paul when i brought this up to you what was your first thought when you know when i said hey this is what's going on and maybe we should talk about it well it happens I, i've got a lot of clients who that's happened to that they've been stalked and it just it's uh i mean some have moved to a different state even because mm -hmm. it was so scary for them and it, it, it's really a lot more disruptive than people can imagine. And uh, so people, some people stock uh, uh, on in cyberspace. You know, some people stock on the internet and places, or, or you know, other places. But 
a lot of people stock in person too, in uh, um, about um, between two and 13% of males get stalked sometime in their life and uh, between eight and 32%, uh, depending on which study you read. So, you know, let's, let's round that off and say maybe, maybe 10% of males get stalked by somebody and uh, about 25% of females, that means one out of four females get stalked mm -hmm. at some time in their life. And uh, um, in 1989, uh, Rebecca Schaefer was a uh, budding young yes. actress. Pretty, you know, she was getting pretty famous, and yep. she was only 21. And uh, a stalker killed her. You know, uh, and uh, after that, um, California passed the nation's first anti-stalking law. That that was back in 1990. And uh, uh, but uh, there's different kinds of. I had a stalker once, which is. Uh, you know, part it's sort of a funny story, but it wasn't funny at the time. But uh, there's uh, somebody that I had treated uh, from, who came from out of state, and um, uh, but she didn't, you know, really stay long. She came to our day program, but she didn't really stay long. And 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 so, you know, we assumed she had just left and gone back uh, home to her other state. And uh, but then uh, we started getting uh, uh, emails and letters and you know and i love you dr meyer and all sorts of stuff like that and uh um and we would just email back you know to quit doing this and stuff and and um and then uh one day i i drove home from work and i went in the house and uh, she was laying on my couch oh my <laughs> i mean i laugh now but it wasn't very funny then and, uh, <laughs> And uh, so I said, okay, get out of my house right now, but I want, but I'm calling the police and I want, I know who you are and I know your name. So you can't, it doesn't do you any good to, to take off because they'll find you anyway. So just stay in your car, wait for the police. And uh, I'm going to call them right now and they're going to come and talk to you. So uh, they did. And, and they told her if she's, if she was ever in the state of uh, Texas again, she'd be arrested. Mm. And, uh, and, and, and that's the first time I really studied up on it. So, cause being a victim of it, I studied more. On it and and what you're really supposed to do is uh, totally ignore them. Yes. Um, yeah. If you talk, if they yeah. if they follow you, and they, you know, uh, say something to you, if you say something back, then they get more attached. Yep. So the more you say, so really, we shouldn't have even uh, emailed her back, probably when she sent those crazy emails, because uh, anything you do um, in, in reaction to what they do. Uh, yeah. Them more. yeah, Melanie, what do you what do you think about this? Because I know you've dealt with a little bit of this, too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've I've had, quote, stalkers in real life. And then, of course, you have um, this whole new opportunity for people to be kind of coward stalkers online. Right. Because they can hide behind a screen uh, and they don't even have to confront you. So. I think it's just more opportunities for people to be bullies these days. I, uh, I had a situation one time where um, I was seeing someone when I was in college and uh, a bunch of my girlfriends and I went over to his home and this was someone that was uh, from Jordan and they were from like royalty. They were from the, they literally had boudets that were gold, like solid gold I mean, the, the, not the other toilet. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. And uh, so we go over to the house and we're all they they make us, um, you know, this very um, ethnic meal and we all enjoy it. And there were tons of computers and monitors and stuff all over the house, which kind of caught me off guard. It seemed a little strange and out of place. And the guy proceeded to show me that on every single screen in the house was a picture of me. <laughs> right. It was so scary. It was so, we all got really uncomfortable and actually kind of feared that we were going to be shipped over to see somewhere. Right. <laughs> and, um, and we ended up leaving. And then there was another situation. And this one, this made me really uncomfortable because I was, I was dating someone that was, um, at East Carolina, which is a college in North Carolina. And I used to go down there and tailgate a lot um, and go to football games with, with, with the guy, with my boyfriend at the time that I was dating. And so I was always there and I, and I, the same people were generally around the same area when we tailgated and I dated this guy for a little over a year. So I was down there a lot. And just by chance, the, the following year in college, someone from our high school ended up being a guy's roommate that literally for the last year and a half had been taking pictures of me without mm. me knowing. So oh, I, it wasn't geez. like he was saying, get in the picture. That's he was, great. yeah, he was taking p and pictures of me without me knowing. And they were literally all over his bedroom wall, over his bed. And, and yeah. as soon as he saw it, the, the, the guy I went to high school with called a friend of mine because I wasn't I wasn't that close with the guy that I went to high school with. But he knew that I was the one in the picture. So he called someone that I did know. It's like, look, you need to tell Melanie that she needs to be careful down here and not because this is what you know, this is what I walked into. Um, and that was that was that was frightening because it was something that was being done that I was not aware of. Um, so those and a lot of them are paranoid. A lot of them are a lot of them are real paranoid. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. And and so the, you know a lot of them are dangerous and and uh, paranoid. Absolutely. Some some are just narcissistic. That there's a um, uh, Australian stocking expert Paul Mullen who who um, uh, did a study of 145 uh, diagnosed stalkers. And uh, and he he said that uh, you know some of the different types are the rejected stalking type, somebody who's experienced the unwanted end of a close relationship. You know, he somebody they got uh, rejected by a, usually a romantic partner, and uh, and so they uh, go after um, they want to stalk somebody to to get revenge. So they mm -hmm. they pick somebody else out that they stalk, but they're getting revenge on that. Um, the person they broke up with, and and then some are uh, intimacy seekers. Like the one that stalked you, uh, sounds more like you know he thought he was in love with you, and and uh, you know, did he ever do anything to other than taking? Did he ever try to approach you or things like that, Melanie? I mean, did he just have the pictures he, everywhere? He, he talked, he, I remember I talked to him because like I said, he kind of hung out with the group of us that all hung out together. And I mean, yeah, I noticed, know. no. Uh, and so we, we had spoken and I noticed him looking, looking at me sometimes. Um, but it wasn't anything that I, that really set a red flag off. Um, yeah. 
because he was kind of quiet. Um, he was just reserved and kind of quiet. So he had never really tried to. And I was always there with my boyfriend, too. So I guess he just wasn't going to talk to me when that mm -hmm. happened. But, yeah, it was scary. It's a threatening feeling. It's very threatening to your safety. It is. I, I had one where I he had saved every single thing from all the way to high school, even a strand of my hair in a photo album and oh my Lord. pictures of me in his closet and just it, uh, that he showed me very happily when I went on a date with him and uh, I was like, okay, it is time for me to leave now. And I have a fork in my back pocket and I will use it accordingly. It was really bizarre, but I was also stalked by my biological father for at least two years. Um, he was following me and, oh no, 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 no. I, um, he, he exited my life because I had come forward that he was sexually abusing me. And, um, and so he was, I would, you know, I always felt like someone was watching me, but I, but I thought I was just crazy. And then I would see a car down the street and I knew that he was in it and then he would take off and take off the other direction. So, um, that went on for a couple of years, uh, but I was really young, you know, 13, 14, 15 when this went on. So I really didn't. And I was in so much trauma that there was no way I could really process like what that meant. But um, in today's day and age, when we get into, you know, people being able to do this over the Internet, it, it brings into a whole other level. They're able to put pictures of you on websites that you didn't give permission, but because they do it from a web server that's in the UK or that's in Africa or somewhere else other than the country that you live in, there's, it's such a wild, wild west out there with the internet that um, you don't have, you know, some of the protections that we didn't have either <laughs> because stalking laws have changed so much over the years, but it's a whole new world. Um, with stalking and we've got somebody right now that's got me up with pictures of me with my therapy dog for goodness sake that is you know written a whole piece about me that makes no sense that anyone in the mental health would, field would read this and say this is someone that needs serious mental health help they've been convicted for this that got out of prison and now they're you know doing this again and um you know, you wonder, you know, what the mindset is behind why someone, you know, does this. And I think where we're different than some of the other people, even the person who went after them and was able to get a conviction and have this person go to prison over it was not in the mental health field. And we're a little different in that we are. So we have this different layer, this different context to look at. Uh, where someone's coming from that would behave this way, even though it doesn't make it okay. We can come at it with some compassion, but it doesn't make it, it doesn't make it any easier to deal with. Gosh, here I am laying with my dog who spent, I don't know how many hours with <laughs> psych patients doing mental health work. And here we've got this horrible thing written about us online. And I just kind of think, wow, that's, 
that's a whole interesting thing. And I can't do much about it because it's, you know, being done from a different country than the United States. Um, but I'll tell you what I've learned in dealing with this is the biggest thing that you realize you don't do is you don't engage. Like you said, Paul, you just don't engage. And, um, you don't even email back. You do not respond. You report to authorities, you know, what's going on so that there's a record and you let your attorney know and you let the internet service provider from where they're posting this information know so that there's a record of what's going on. But in terms of responding to threats and, you know, and all of that, you, um, you don't engage with the person that's engaging you because the one that's doing this to us and using me as the, target of our network is someone who will stalk an organization and then when you respond they'll turn around and and send a fake another fake email saying they're a different person with a whole different name and say oh I'm here to help you deal with this awful person who's been convicted that's stalking you but you do a little bit of investigative work and you realize it's the same person <laughs> That's so crazy. That is nuts. Yeah. So, you know, we, we have a great attorney and we've got great, you know, great um, investigative reporting on our side. And you realize, oh, my gosh, it's it's the same person that's doing this. And you just go, well, luckily, we're in the mental health field. And anyone that would read this kind of garbage that's put out there about me or about us is going to, you know, just the spelling that's wrong and the way that it's written in the third person and it's so inside the mind of someone that is severely mentally ill um it's easy to see right off the bat we're like the wrong place to target because <laughs> we have so many people psychologists and psychiatrists and well-known, you know, people that have been in a lot of counseling that can easily read things like that and go, there's something wrong with them, not with who they're writing about. So we're not a great target. So it's interesting to, to be one, but um, I still can't help coming at it from a place of compassion. And I'm not asking for a martyr. Um, <laughs> well, for this person that they're so... Yeah, really. Most of them I don't have any compassion for. Most of them are just out and out evil, making evil choices. But some are, are mentally ill. You that's know, and, what and I, I do think. have compassion for them. Yeah. yeah well, that's, well what that's, I think. that's what these uh, studies show that some of them, like the guy that killed Lennon um, back in 1980, uh, uh, he was mentally ill. And uh, um, he had a, you know, a severe paranoid disorder. And, mm -hmm. and uh, sometimes. Those people, if you give them an antipsychotic medication, uh, they'll quit talking that they're doing it because of mental illnesses. So I would feel sorry for somebody that was doing it because of because they couldn't control it because their brain chemicals were screwed up. But most yeah. people that do it are are just uh, predators or control freaks or uh, you know. So some just fantasize. <laughs> that, some that think that they're in love with you and that you love them back. There's some yeah. that, that are crazy enough. To assume that you're in love with them and i guess maybe that's why you don't say anything to their belief yeah that could be a borderline trait definitely borderline personality well, a lot of them a lot of them want to hurt you a lot of them yes. do it because they they want to yeah. but even with with either with with somebody that 
you symbolize, or, or some people will stalk uh, uh, somebody that they used to date, um, and, and because they want to get vengeance on them for uh, for rejecting them, you know, their ego was hurt. It's it's crazy when when you hear people say, uh, you know, why'd you kill her? Well, I killed her because she divorced me or she rejected me. Well, mm-hmm. you know, because I love her so much, I couldn't live without her. Well, if you love somebody, you don't want them to live with you if they don't want to. If you love somebody, you don't kill them because they decide they'd rather uh, live somewhere else or, or, or you know, go be with somebody else. You don't kill somebody that you love. Yeah. They just look yeah. at it. They're stalkers. Yep, exactly. They, and I, It's not love. It's possession. Exactly. And I'm not being, listeners, please don't think I'm being some sort of step on the carpet that is Kristen and just forgive everyone. I'm not. This certainly is disturbing and I don't like it, but I will not kowtow to someone that um, is threatening us and our organization and the things that we do and threatening me personally. And it's, it's sad that someone would think that the network that we are, which is mental health news is and has the most shows on the planet about things like narcissistic personality disorder that we wouldn't figure out who exactly they are and that we're a good target. I got to think you're really off the mark here, whoever you are. (laughs) It's the wrong place to target because we can see every single hole in the behavior that's going on here. You know, I mean, what do we talk about? What are our most highest, you know, rated shows? So it's just, it's interesting, you know, when you, you get on the radar of these kind of people and you're like, wow, you know what you got, you just got out of jail and you're doing this again. Um, it's bizarre to me, but I'll tell you what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to be scared by it and I'm not going to stop what we're doing because of it. And it's a blip, it's a blip on my radar. And the first thing I do is disengage. That's, that's what you have to do is do not respond. You just yeah. don't. Yeah, it's all, it, it's so tempting to sometimes, um, especially when someone's trying to smear your name, right, Kristen? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. It's so tempting. Um, that's like, you know, we talk about narcissists and uh, smear campaigns and really the, the more you try to dispel whatever it is that they've spread around about you, the crazier you look. Yep. So as hard as it is, anyone that would believe those things, whatever they're saying about you anyway, is probably really not your friend. So you just really have to rise above the situation. And like, exactly like you said, just don't engage. It's the best thing to do. Yeah, I believe in our listeners. These are smart people. They know They've heard us. They've heard our shows. They've heard our other podcasters. They know the behavior that goes on because what is the one of the most atypical behaviors of someone with this kind of a personality disorder? It is to attack and then blame the person they're attacking for attacking them. That is the first thing that they do. And that's, you know, people do. Absolutely. And so all of them will smell a rat, you know, when they see it. So it's, I bring it up not to, and I'm not going to say this, you know, organization or person's name, because I'm not going to give them any press, but 
what I want to say about this and why we're going to do shows about this on a lot of our podcasts is because this is a very real threat out there today with the internet and social media. This is a very real threat for millions and millions and millions of people. And what we need to do is educate people on how to deal with this because what these kind of people want is they want your engagement. They want you to be upset. They want your life to be disrupted. They want you to have PTSD over this. They want you to have anxiety. Um, they want you to stop your life because of what's happening. And um, you don't have to do that because of how they're behaving. There are ways to handle this kind of behavior that um, don't take you to those places, even if you're someone who has dealt with a lot of trauma and a lot of PTSD already. And so we're going to turn this negative thing into a positive and um, use it to educate. And that's kind of what we do around here, you know? Yeah. Yep. Take it, please, and Bob. Yeah, we did. We spoke to the police in the in in the UK, and they're involved, and they know what's going on. And uh, there's a long record, and you know they've been wonderful. So you just you do the things that you need to do, but you don't engage with the person that's attacking you. Exactly. Yeah, that just feeds them. It just gives them energy. It's exactly what they want: is to have some type of contact with you, even if it's a it's negative. They're they're relishing on and that they've you know had some control over your feelings that they make you yeah they love it that's what they're trying to do. So Paul, when you're treating people like this, you know it's very difficult for them to admit. But you can tell, you know, as a psychiatrist, like when someone walks in and you see obviously this is paranoid personality disorder. And same with you, Melanie. Like, you know, you can see rapid speech. Uh, the obsessiveness and the way they're talking about something you can you you over time maybe even not that much time you see oh, okay we're not dealing with a victim here I'm dealing with someone who's a perpetrator of abuse so I want to start with you Melanie as we you know close out this show like when do you um, when when does it the scale tip for you as a counselor that you notice this and how do you change your therapy or your therapeutic conversation with someone when you realize, ah, I'm dealing with a perpetrator. I'm not dealing with a victim, which they are <laughs> victims, obviously, at some point in their lives. But you know what I'm saying? Yeah, um, that's a really good question, Kristen. That That's a really good question. And because as I'm sitting here listening and thinking, there are really moments that stand out in my counseling career when when I when I begin to realize and honestly, I mean, I, I remember it. I remember several that were just it, it, it's definitely like a light bulb goes off mm -hmm. and you you really I think what I have done most of the time when it's happened to me is I've kind of I've gone back and read over my case notes and really tried to understand exactly what was happening. Um, most of the time they're red flags anyway, there's such a level of, uh, of instability. Mm -hmm. So there's no groundedness in these people. Um, and, and so it, I, I don't know that I've ever really been surprised. Um, but I will be honest, there has been, 
two times in my counseling career, which haven't even has been a third as long as Paul's has been because I'm not counseling anymore. I was actually afraid of clients and mm. felt threatened. And felt threatened. One time it was a spiritual issue. Um, someone had tried to kill themselves, and she came straight to me when she got out of um, the hospital. And I don't, and Paul, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. It was just a very dark experience with her when she was telling me about what had happened. It was very removed. It was almost like she wasn't even in control of what she was even saying and telling me. It was very eerie. And I remember at the end of the session, all I really wanted to do was like run. I literally had this feeling that I wanted to run. And I remember praying after it because it just felt really dark. And then later on, um, years later, two or three years later, um, she ended up coming back to my office at a different, at somewhere different where I was practicing and really kind of made a threat towards me about someone else I was giving counseling to. Mm. So, and for a long time, you know, after that initial session where I told you I felt you know, kind of spiritually threatened in a way. I saw her for a long time and I, and I really, you know, really had compassion about her and never, never in a million years would I think she would show up in my office and talk to me and tell me about how her life is going for 40 minutes. And then for the last 10 minutes, she, she threatens me and not my life, but just the things we were she was saying was very threatening. So those, those moments do happen and you, you just have to adjust and, Know that, you know, you've you've got the skill set to handle it and maybe seek some supervision. I know I, I talked to my supervisor about it when it happened for sure, but you never know what you're going to be faced with in there, do you, Paul? No, uh, no. In, you know, I've, I've been practicing for 42 years now, and uh, I'm, I was just trying to think when Kristen asked that question. I really don't remember um, uh, meeting any stalkers in all my career. Yeah. Except for that one that that followed me, I've I've been treating uh, many, you know, probably several hundred victims, um, and I'm not. Maybe I had some and didn't recognize it. Um, most people who are stalkers wouldn't seek help because they they you know they think there's something wrong with everybody other than them. Like narcissists don't go to therapists for help. Um, unless they go to a therapist to tell them what they want to hear. And, and I'm just trying to remember, I'm sure I, I've seen, cause I've treated, maybe it's because I'm more of a, a medical type of guy, you know, that if I saw somebody that was real paranoid and things like that, I've seen a lot of paranoid people and delusional and things like that. And, and I put them on medications that make those things go away. And, and it could be if I, if I talked to them longer and found out all the things that they had, done that they never shared with me that some of them might very well have been stalkers but i don't remember treating any any stalkers but i knew were stalkers yeah yeah we've had a couple we've had a couple paul it's been really interesting we've had a couple that um 
you know, wanted to be on my show and then they wanted to be on other podcaster shows and then they try to split me and the other podcaster. We've had some interesting and, and not involving me even just other podcasters try to do the split and the, all that with them. So the borderline thing. Yep, exactly. It's been, it's been really interesting, but you know, the thing is we're a mental health network, so we know the signs. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, we've had some other stalker type situations on the podcast, Kristen, if you really think about it. Good um, Lord. Yes. Mr. NFL yeah, stalking <laughs> my LinkedIn profile every single day and sending me emails and calling me from random phone numbers. Yeah. We've had some interesting ones, but you know, they're, you learn over time how to diffuse these situations. And I'd say this, some people might treat you listeners that are dealing with this, like you're the one with the problem because it's happening to you. And the reality is that's misplaced. That's very misplaced. You're not the problem. Someone that is stalking you uh, or is treating you this way, you're not the problem. Um, people just don't know how to deal with it. So try not to take that on if you get treated that way. And um, we're going to talk more and more about this with other podcasters. We've got some police officials coming on to talk about these things and, you know, really get into this. But the thing that we hear over and over again across the board is do not engage. So think of the hungry tiger out in the jungle and the thing that gets them going is red meat. Don't give them any red meat, which is your attention. <laughs> sure. Sure. Yeah. It, it's can be There's hard. movies about stalkers out there. You know what? My wife and I, as you know, like to watch scary movies. Yes, and, uh, you do. We'll probably watch one tonight after we get done. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but some of them are about stalkers, and some of them are based on true stories, you know, so. Absolutely. It's a real thing. And I, a, I really feel for, there are some people that that I've seen who were victims who actually moved to a different state because they were so afraid they were going to get killed. And there's a, a you know, some stalkers are smart enough to, where they don't do what's going to get them landed in jail. Oh, yeah. But at the same time, they, they threaten lives and things like that. Absolutely. Well, tonight we're going to say this is... We are giving out good information that everybody needs to know because we're in a whole new day and age because we've got social media, smartphones, and the internet. So these are conversations that need to be had. But first, I want to say, or last, I want to say, I'm so excited that we're back together in the new year, the three of us. And I'm so happy for you, Paul, about getting this great American award. This That just made my day when I got your email. And I know it did for well, me, too. You. It, it, it means a lot to me. And, uh, a, I, I really do love our, our country. And, yes. Uh, and I, I've enjoyed, I've traveled all over the world uh, training counselors and doing, you know, things like, like you're doing with the podcast in Africa and things like that. I, you know, I've gone to places that are really third world and slept on people's broken couches and things like that. And uh, mm-hmm. But when I get home, and, and, and so I, I love meeting people around the world but when i get home get off the plane i I, i've several times i've gotten down on my hands and knees and just kissed the ground uh, (laughs) i love our country i love the united states of america absolutely absolutely well thank you you know a, a great american award 
Yes, absolutely. And I want to see you posting pictures, which I know you'll never do. I'm completely teasing of you lifting that um, 35 pound eagle, you know, as you go to work, I'll you know, just pictures. <laughs> I'll send you some pictures. <laughs> you, you can, I, you can pull, I'll, I'll give you some and you can, if you want to post one uh, somewhere. Absolutely. We will. This yeah, is I'll Paul doing you, his arm curls as he drives to the Dallas office of Meyer Clinics. <laughs> yeah. With a 35 I'm, I'm, I'm going to leave it at my home because I'm afraid if I left it here, somebody would that broke in with the feel it or something. You know, yeah, I'm sure it's beautiful. Yes, we have to get pictures and put those out. I'll do that. I'll send you some. We're done. Well, thank you both, Melanie and Paul. I'm so glad to be back together in this new year. Yeah, happy new year. And thank you to our listening family for tuning in with us all these years. We love you and we look forward to doing more great new shows um, coming the rest of this year. Hi, this is Dr. Paul Meyer, founder of the National Chain of Meyer Clinics. I've often told you about how people just like you are getting the healing that they need from emotional issues like depression, anxiety, anger problems, and relational problems. We wanted to share with you Mickey's experience at our day program and how it has affected his life. The Meyer Clinics has been a real blessing to me. Dr. Meyer told me that people get well here and my life has been completely changed. I have been symptom-free for three years, and I'd recommend it to anybody that really wants to overcome an emotional problem of any kind. Mickey's story is like so many others that we receive. It's an encouragement to us, and we hope it will also be an encouragement to you to call us to get the emotional help that you've needed. Please call toll-free 888-7-CLINIC to be connected to the Meyer Clinic program nearest you. That's 1-888-7-CLINIC or go to MeyerClinics.com. That's www.meierclinics.com. Without good intentions, I heat up and act on my emotions. Thanks so much for listening to Mental Health News Radio. Our podcast can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and hundreds of other podcast apps. Or you can visit our website at mentalhealthnewsradio.com. If you have a question or would like to be a guest, become a podcaster on our network, or join the amazing organizations that help keep us on the air, please email us at info at mhnrnetwork.com. Get ready for that special goodbye from our resident therapy dog, Miles, and a special thanks to Emily Sohn for letting us use her incredible song, Cordial, for our podcast music. Listen to the full song on SoundCloud at emily.sonne. Don't be surprised when I don't hate on you. After all we promised, we'd be cordial. Sometimes in